Well, this is it. Once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Subalero, and with me always is my faithful companion, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, what's going on down there? Oh, man, saving my life, stamping out disease and pestilence. Just, uh, just got through uh, sending half my students to a uh, National Registry Cognitive Exam uh, and um, uh, getting ready to send the other half, man. It's a... Uh, it's been a long slog and a tough one, but we're almost done. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I would rather shave my head with a cheese grater while chewing on tinfoil than take a National <laughs> Registry cognitive exam. Yeah, and, and they would now, too. <laughs> Some of the students who um, who did poorly and, and did not complete it uh, successfully uh, probably realized they were a bit complacent. Uh, despite my admonitions otherwise, and some of the ones who were scared to death of it uh, and thus didn't get complacent um, wound up passing it. So this is all right. You know, you know, I, I, would think- I have faith in all of them. They're going to they're gonna get it done. Um, it, uh, it's just another one of the hurdles we had to, had to overcome with this particular class that uh, – with uh, with the technology failures, um, we had to uh, had to shift gears and, and do things a different way, and, and it showed. But uh, uh, overall, it still had a had a good pass fail rate, and and these guys are going to all be good EMTs in the in the long run. So, you know, I think that one of the things that you know I kind of was joking about with you about was taking the National Registry exam. I always wanted to retake the exam after all these years of knowledge, and I think that, mm-hmm. I think that one of the challenges we had initially when we took our national registry exam was you know we come right out of the schoolhouse we got all this knowledge in our head we've got to try to decipher this new knowledge but then after x amount of experience and really kind of uh, growing your core knowledge Mm -hmm. i would think the exam should be challenging but i don't know that it's going to be that much of a hurdle as it was back in the old day yeah it's um I want to experience it. You know, that's, I think that, um, usually when I teach a refresher, uh, every year, I put myself down on the, uh, on the roster as, as, uh, of the refresher. And of course I, all of the, the conference work I do and, and stuff like that, I, I, I never lack for CEUs, but I, I keep telling myself that I'm going to refresh by examination one year because in teaching paramedic classes, I, I it would be very, very useful to know, uh, to have some first-hand experience of what that cognitive exam is going to be like. So, when do you, uh, when do you recertify? But it would really suck to go in and fail it, you know. <laughs> but, when do you recertify? Uh, uh, 2018. So, so uh, do October, I. Maybe we should, I, we know what we should do. We should do it together. We should recertify together by taking the exam. You heard it here first. Come on, Kelly. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's we'll, we'll go to a, a Pearson View Testing Center and we'll sit down for the for the cognitive exam and we will recertify that way and we will discuss our results here on the show. Well, we'll discuss the that's results, but we won't discuss anything about the test. No, that's all right. That's all right. We won't compromise test security, but we'll just discuss how we did. Um, are we are we going to wager, man? Uh, who should. who does best? I think we should. What's the wager going to be? Uh, uh, um, it's got to be something, you know. You know, money is just—it's just—it's just dirty. Money's just dirty. We don't want. If, money. I, if I win, if I win, um, you donate. Uh, you make a substantial donation next year to Kilted to Kick Cancer. If you win, um, I'll—I don't know. 
<laughs> what you want, man. Whatever humiliating thing it is you want me to do. I think I, I think last year it was uh, dress up in a Charlie's Angel pose or something in the kilt. Uh, uh, how about with the Chris Valero is great monologue across my chest. How about this? If you lose, you've got to shave your head. Okay, I can do that. Really? You you went that easy? All right, let me think about it. I, I've shaved my head before. It's not a problem. All right, <laughs> the only person that would upset is Nancy. I like shaving my head. All right, then Nancy has to shave her head. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that happening, but hey, we'll we'll give it a, a whirl. Well, we got some time to think about it, but I think that yeah. I think maybe let's talk about it offline and see if we can make it happen. Let's yeah, let's do it, man. All let's right. do some news, shall we? It's been a long time since we've done news, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, let's go ahead and uh, see what's going on inside EMS, and uh, let's chat about it. Yeah, well, our first story comes to uh, comes to us from Jessup, Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania Borough is weighing a tax credit to incentivize volunteer EMTs and firefighters. Uh, and it struck me that this is, you know, this is one of the things that Nancy uh, really stresses in her uh, in, in her talks and in her writing is is uh, the right way to go about incentivizing volunteers. You know, you find some some agencies that incentivize their volunteers by by paying them on a per call basis, which which gets into into really uh, stormy waters as far as the uh, labor board and and and. Uh, and you know the laws require uh, laws about compensation, but there are other ways to encourage uh, EM, uh, volunteers and other ways to uh, uh, for companies to to uh, stress how important it is for their for their uh, community. And and Jessup is doing that. Uh, solicitor Richard Fanucci believes that uh, a property tax credit would make Jessup the first municipality in north northeast Pennsylvania to take advantage of a new state law authorizing local governments to offer incentives to help address a statewide shortage of volunteers. Um, Jessup Hose Company and the, uh, <clears throat> and the Ambulance Association 10 years ago had 40 active volunteers, and now they're, they have half that. And their uh, uh, call volume has increased increased across the board, uh, and they're struggling. So one of the things they're trying to do is to to make it attractive uh, for for people to to volunteer for the agency. Um, and this is a this is a problem faced in in a great many volunteer uh, agencies all around the country. They don't have the call volume and the tax base to support a full time paid department yet. Um, it is becoming increasingly difficult for for people to volunteer, uh, or, or I won't say necessarily difficult. Nancy would agree with disagree with me there. Um, uh, often leadership and the and the structure of the organization and and that sort of thing has made it onerous uh, for EMTs to volunteer. Um, and and this is one of those things. Where where a community can go about uh, showing its uh, volunteer companies, hey, we, we care and we appreciate what you do. And uh, here's a little something to uh, to let you know how important you are to it. Uh, I think that's something that with the new Pennsylvania law uh, ought to be able to, to uh, help a lot of companies if they, uh, if they take advantage of the change in the law. Yeah, you know, I really like that. And one of the other things that I would even think about as well is when you think about a, a tax credit, what does that relate to? I would hate to think that they're trying to pass a tax credit for something that's really not very substantial, you know, I yeah. would think something like if you're a if you are a volunteer, that every um, year it's an increase in another percentage off your taxes until maybe even eventually mm -hmm. 
that if you're a 20-year career person, you're paying minimal state tax. And uh, yeah. I bet you that keeps a lot of people involved in that. But I, I think that it has to be an escalating process as well that would allow people to say, you know, this year, every year it's, uh, you know, maybe uh, whatever percentage until you get to a 20-year time frame. And then maybe you're just done paying state tax for the rest of your life living in that state. I mean, I bet, be you, sweet. I bet you that gets people's attention and makes them want to stay. Uh, I bet it would. And, you know, there, there are many other ways to go about doing this. As, you know, the, the volunteer fire department where, where I used to work, uh, all the volunteer firefighters uh, um, got their, their water bills written off, for example. They show up for X number of calls per year. They respond like they're supposed to. Um, they get a, uh, a Christmas bonus at the end of the year, um, just basically a response stipend, which stipends are, are a... Uh, uh, a, a tricky area to do it legally, but but they would get a uh, their stipend at the end of the year, uh, and they made a nice Christmas bonus. Uh, but they also didn't have any any water bills all year. So if you had a swimming pool or something like that, you know, or a, uh, uh, you you got a substantial savings. Otherwise, you'd, you'd still save three hundred six three hundred fifty four hundred dollars a year uh, on your water and sewer and, and, and trash pickup sort of thing um and there's you know louisiana has has the tops program for high school students if you make a certain average in high school you qualify for uh for a tuition waiver in all the state universities so our kids can go to school uh go to college um if they're making the grades in high school they can go to college for free um the, and that tops uh scholarship covers quite a bit um it's always a struggle funding it every year. Um, but the sad thing is we don't have enough students taking advantage of it. It was in, encouraged to, to keep, uh, um, to stop the brain drain and to keep students in our state, uh, kids with, with intelligence and talent in our state contributing to, uh, uh, to um, uh, Louisiana uh, instead of taking their talents elsewhere. But just imagine if, if you had a similar thing uh, in, in an escalating fashion, as you described, where a volunteer could get tuition uh, waivers at state universities for their children. You know, you work for 10 years as a volunteer, you know, you get to send a, a kid to college for free. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, and it's really not money out of it's. It doesn't require any money out of state coffers. It's just uh, it's you know it's it's a, a payment for services and kind kind of thing. You know, it doesn't cost them anything. Uh, it's just uh, another student that you uh, that you keep at home um, and and get educated. Yeah, so I mean, another. I think thing that would be a great uh, great incentive as well. You know, another thing to think about is a lot of these volunteer services. You know, they've got. Uh, you know they have they use their own cars to get to the um, you know the stations and emergencies. Yeah. Maybe you give them free license plates that say uh, uh, volunteer. You know, and and this mm -hmm. way when it comes time to you know doing their car uh, registrations, that's another free thing that they're doing. But I think that there's a lot of incentives that could be given by a state that would allow and retain. Um, mm -hmm. So when we think about those. I mean, I think and about relatively it, revenue neutral. You know, it's, it's they're not going to be spending a great deal of money uh, uh, to to incentivize these people, but it's still it's a tangible uh, tangible benefit for the volunteers. You know, I think that one of the things that <clears throat> there are just so many different things that could be done, and you know, you think about it this way too. 
is that in your organization, in your volunteer organization, you you've got X amount of spots, and a lot of times you you know you staff over that just to make sure that somebody's going to be there when the uh, you know when the balloon goes up. But in the case of having you know this type of tax incentive, you can say we only have twenty five spots here, and if people are going to hang on to those spots more than normal, uh, and of course I think that that requirement is tied to. Um, that you've got to respond to X amount of incidences yeah. as well. You know, it may be that there's only 20 or 25 people that are in your volunteer station, so it's not like you're talking about the 50 or 60 that they have now uh, just to kind of make sure someone's available whenever. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got for us, brother? I have charm, personality, and good looks, but aside from that... <laughs> and a glorious sack lack of self-awareness, apparently. Self-awareness? Nice attitude. Nice attitude. <laughs> You're not my friend anymore. I'm not talking to you until the rest of the end of the show. So, mine's coming out of Palm Beach, Florida, and I think what we're starting to see now is we're starting to see a lot of the challenges with uh, reimbursement. And Palm Beach County, a Florida county, is losing millions of dollars having to cover the cost of unpaid ambulance bills. And, you know, down there in uh, Palm Beach County, they have $11.8 million in uncollectible mm. emergency transport patient accounts. And this is really serious because one of the things that you've got to think about, Kelly, is when we try to assess the value of an organization, we assess the value based on assets. So a lot of times what organizations will say, and I don't know that this is what Palm Beach County is saying, but a lot of times people will say, you know what, we're a $12 million organization, but of course we've got $11 million in receipts out that we're hoping to collect this money. Well, then the realization is going to come in that the creditors or you know the bank is going to say, you know what, in, in actuality, you're not a $12 million organization, you're only a $4 million organization. And this really affects organizations not only in the cash flow department, but also in the value department of their organizations as they try to get more credit to do business as they need to. But one of the challenges that we're starting to see now in this day and age is that people aren't paying these ambulance bills, and a lot of the times we're billing for things that aren't going to be reimbursed anyway. And I think we're going to start to yeah. see more and more of these stories. Secondarily, I think we're going to see more and more ambulance companies closing because of this type of uh, event. You know, there was a, a related story, Kelly, in New Mexico. There was a countywide write-off of $5 million in unpaid bills. And let's not even talk about the air ambulance companies that file suit for unclaimed bills. And, and, and that's mm -hmm. another crazy number. And I just think that this is a, uh, a vision of what's to come within our career field in the next uh, five years. You know, I think this is multifactorial. Number one, we're suffering from from mission creep to a great degree. We, we transport a lot of people to the hospital that we shouldn't. Uh, and, and a lot of people call ambulances for things that they shouldn't. Uh, and insurance often uh, is refuses to reimburse those sort of things. Um, and, and they're they're starting to take a, a more critical eye uh, to that sort of thing. It used to be that, that uh, CMS reimbursement guidelines basically uh, 
depended on the patient's perception that there is an emergency. Uh, however, however skewed or unrealistic that perception was, uh, you'd get paid to take a patient to the hospital, um, and and that is tremendously inefficient. People are not, uh, uh, and and they're starting to look at that with a critical eye and and be more uh, rigorous in in applying some sort of of uh, stretcher certification uh, and 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 you know, something on, on patient acuity to those calls. But the other thing is, is if you're running 911 calls, you're going to lose money. The, the, the demographic of people that are going to call the ambulance, uh, as their means of getting to a hospital, um, uh, is going to include people that, that, uh, have legitimate emergencies, but you're also going to have people that use the ambulance as a taxi cab, have no pay, no means or intention of ever paying their bill. Uh, and, and that's, that's heavily skewed toward emergency calls. Um, you're going to lose money running 911 calls. Um, so I think it, 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 it's yet another example of how we need to diversify our funding streams and, uh, in, in the future, stop relying so much on insurance and CMS reimbursement, uh, and, and payment for transport and, and, you know, in eff- effectively, uh, shielding our communities from the real cost of, of EMS, um, uh, the communities we serve need to understand this is how much the cost of coverage and response is, uh, and we'll try to uh, offset those costs as much as we can through billing. We're not going to leave money on the table uh, when insurance and, and the federal government is willing to pay for some of it, um, but this is what it costs, you know, and, and that communities that can need to step up to the plate and pay for EMS. You, you got to decide in, for example, Palm beach County, you got to decide this is the level of EMS care and coverage we want for our community. And we're going to pay for it. And we're going to hope we can reimburse We can, uh, um, you know, recoup some of those, some of that money spent in tax dollars uh, from uh, CMS and from insurance companies, but we we need to be prepared to pay this amount. Um, and I think that's that's not an unusual story, and it's going to be very, very commonplace in the future. You know, one of the other things, too, that I think is important is that we really need to get to a point of – we really need to get to a point of, of not transporting patients that don't need to go to the hospital. We need to be able to treat them at home. We need to be able to, you know, navigate them to other than the emergency room because we're taking a lot of patients to the hospital – that aren't going to pay those bills. And when we talk about 11 million in uncollectible emergency transports, some of these may be medical necessity, but others may be that we're billing the patient, we're just not receiving reimbursement for it anyway. Mm -hmm. So if we can expand the scope of practice of the paramedics who are getting to the scene, who are able to treat people on the scene, Mm -hmm. it may be a lot easier to say, well, I'm not going to send the bill. So instead of sending an $800 bill for an ambulance transport or whatever it is, you guys are sending out the door, you know, you send in a hundred dollar bill that may be more likely to get reimbursed than it would be if you're sending an $800 bill. It's the, it's the fast nickel over the slow dime as, as Nancy likes to put it. And, and it's, yeah, you know, if we get fee for service rather than fee for transport, I think that's going to be a much more efficient, uh, um, delivery model and uh, reimbursement model. But Hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.